and like sort of the genius of the production with the MCU, I don't think they're great movies now. And it's like, a, it's not my favorite group of movies to watch. I think um, we'll get into it fully later, but I, again, not to just be a fucking, like, <laughs> like grass in the wind, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love them. I think you have, like, I have the caveat, I love them. I understand why people don't because they're not, it's not a traditional movie or like even like a traditional franchise where it's like, oh, you look at like, it's a contained story. Like I love, like I grew up reading comic books and like always watching like the cartoon shows where it's always like, it never ends. It's always like a to be continued. Yeah, I can remember as kids, I remember you had the big comic book collection. And so I do think like for anyone like you that had that kind of childhood to have this world now of billions of dollars in comic books and comic book movies coming out every month it's just like it's got to be kind of amazing it's been cool i still remember being in the theater and seeing i this was before i like the internet was really a thing i was like or i was into it and i remember seeing the trailer so for me it was i always like to go to movies early because that's where i saw the trailers and i remember being at the movie early and seeing an x-men trailer and my head almost fucking exploded like I, I was like, I remember looking at my mom and my friend Matt Doyle, and I was like, "This isn't real." And my friend Matt Doyle, who like he was like, he's like, "You're going crazy." Like he, I remember him just being like, "Wow, you are freaking out right now." And then like a few weeks later, then the Spider-Man commercial came out, and the first Spider-Man trailer, it was him. Also, kind of forgotten movies, but very important at the time. Very important, and we're, we're gonna go, we're gonna dive into those one day too. But the Spider-Man trailer, fun fact. The first one, or at least the first one I saw, early trailers, it was him stopping bank robbers, bank robbers by webbing them up between the twin towers. Oh, the old! I do. I caught that trailer as well. Before. So that is the first trailer, and it's an awesome trailer. And it's like, and those still movies one were of those great. Scenes that everyone says was a great action scene that no one's really been able to see. Yes, and so mind you, oh, there's there are a couple of those. That's actually we're gonna go into that one day too. There's uh <laughs> there is apparently there's a whole bunch of MCU ones there, but. Granted, those aren't those are early M- those aren't actually MCU movies, but I actually think what's his name? I think Faggy worked on all those. Faggy worked on like almost all the Fox uh, movies. But I won't go into all of it. But the I, I don't even think I've already lost my tra- train of thought here. But I love the Marvel movies. But with that being said, like I don't think they get enough credit. Like the first Iron Man, they discard the the Marvel movies get rid of the secret identity. Which makes it, which I think is the biggest difference between the two things that nobody talks about. It makes writing the story so much easier. They're writing for one oh, character. Okay, so in the, in the Iron Man comics, he has his he has a secret identity. Oh, that's a big thing. That's a big thing in both Marvel and uh, I think it's taken a lesser role since the Marvel movies come out. The Marvel movies and the comics yeah. have this very nebulous relationship where they affect each I other really so, strongly. But um, it's still true that. Um, I'm a big Howard Hughes fan. I've always uh, Iron Man is based off of Howard Hughes, right? The the aviator, the guy that invented Pan Am. I think so. I, th- I think that's who he's originally based off too. Like um, the guy that built the Spruce Grove. There's a great Scorsese movie called The Aviator about Howard Hughes. Um, I actually still need to see that. That's a good movie to watch, Jake. Um, I'll, I'll put that on the list. If you're really into Iron Man, you should watch that movie because that's like the real world version of Iron Man, and like you see what he really invented. And it's like, he's a crazy guy, like billionaire guy. Um, he, he's the reason we have transcontinental flight. He's the reason um, that a lot of our spy and military plans were invented. But yeah, basically, the, the reason Howard Hughes is an important person because he took plane travel from 
going about 500 to 1,000 miles to going 3,000 miles, which allowed coast-to-coast and transcontinental flights. And that's why Pan Am made him the richest man in the world at one point. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyways, that's real. like, I, I like making that connection because then, like, when I watch Iron Man, I can be like, oh, this is like what a 2020 Howard Hughes would be like in an iron suit flying around the world or something. All right. Um, no, and that's I, – I do need to see that movie, Ant-Man yeah, to the less. But um, one of the – Great Leo performance. Great Leo performance. The thing with the, thing with the Marvel movies, and I'll, le- I'll stop shortly – I think the criticisms for them are pretty valid and that, like, it's not really a movie or it's not really, like, one story. It's, like, it's, a it's a, like, this big – they're not self-contained. You have to see a lot of – like, you have to see a lot to understand one. Like, I know the critiques against it, but I think that Marvel doesn't get enough credit for a lot. And, like, the whole – even the whole thing now seems easy because it had so much success, but the first Avengers was, like – so I remember, yeah, I remember yeah. seeing that in theaters. Like that movie was like a, a like one of the biggest hits I can remember. Like it was like people like yeah. seen it in theaters, think, and it was so well received. Like and then everything since then, like, yeah, they don't get enough credit for that first step of building yes. different franchises into one gigantic yes. thing. Whereas like now that they have it up and running, it is easier to kind of like keep it moving. But I do think that first initial step of being like, we need four to five franchises to work, and then we can combine it, and like then we can really exponentially make money here. That whole, I mean, it's a, yeah, it, it's changed Hollywood, honestly. It's changed the economics of Hollywood. It's pissed off some people, but it's like, those are the breaks, you know? At the end of the day, that's the most profitable, least risky thing to do right now. So that's Hollywood at this point in time. You franchise, and the, the beauty of it is they basically franchised each season. Like, they let, like, an Avengers yeah. out every other summer, or, like, an Avengers, like, yeah, although... I, I, think the hard, I think their next hardest step is as some of their heavier actors, you know, as the Downies and some of these guys transition out, you know, you gotta kind of make moves and uh, fill shoes and keep the keep the chain going, I guess, kind of. I think that's going to so be the big question. I think I think they're going to have some luck in that they basically have to get to have their cake and eat it too, because they're going to have the Scarlett Johansson movie, which is going to give them uh, like so they're going to still keep that character around. Whether you want to well, make, no, I think it'd be fun. I mean, you have a big enough bankroll, you can hire whoever you really want. But it's just like as yeah, you know, it's like but, Downey. It's so. Uh, um, I, I I know what you're saying though. It's, it's hard to replace that. It's not just having the name. First of all, you have to get that. You have to get an actor and get them with a the character, and then make yeah. it work. Like Chris Evans and Captain America. You, you can make the argument that Chris Evans and Captain America, like Captain America, did more for Chris Evans' career than Iron Man did for Robert Downey Jr. Is like not right. maybe not, but like like they're both they're both awesome in those roles, and they're both gone. Scarlett Johansson's going to be gone soon, unless they bring. They can always bring him back. It's comic book. I mean, it's like, I mean, at the same time, I remember saying, like, I don't think they can recast Michael Keaton for Batman. Like, I don't think that'll ever happen. It's like, what are we, 12 Batmans? <laughs> They'll be recast. I think it would be a, it would be a mistake to recast those people soon. Like, I, 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 I think you if you're smart. Guys for a little bit. If, yeah. you're, if, if, like, if you're in a pinch, like, need a break, like, you'll break the glass and pull alarm, like, five years. If you're doing it right, like, it'll be ten years or more before we see them. Yeah, I agree. Also, they're going to bring in all the X Men, the Fantastic Four. Like, it, they're they're going to have a ton of characters to pick from to like basically pick up the basically pick up the mantle and run with it. Okay, this was okay. we're talking about this for eight minutes now. I'm sorry, this was supposed to be 
This was a non-topic. This was a non. This was a non-topic, but you know, it was a topic. That's okay. We followed it. We followed it. That's what we do. All right. All right. Is it time? I want you. Can you do a little lead in here for Terminator? I think it's. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about Terminator. Terminator. No, I like. I actually think this. It's it's smart that we started with this franchise for this. Uh, whatever this little segment that we're doing about fixing franchises because. Uh, you know, I I know I can come across as maybe a little too critical, maybe a little too highbrow when it comes to movies, but you know, Not you. deep down my guts, I love a good action franchise. Like I love looking forward to a, a, you know the next big action movie. Uh, so you know, I'm a fan of these. Fran- I'm a fan. I lo- I love all of these franchises. I love the Terminator. I love uh, I love the Matrix movies. I love the Alien movies. I love the Mad Max movies. You know, all these. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested in all of these franchises till the day I die, I guess, basically. Um, Terminator is a good one to start with, though, because I do remember a time in this world when this was the biggest, baddest action franchise on the planet. And, the, you know, the movies we were looking forward to were Terminator movies. James Cameron was, like, at the apex. He was the peak of action directing in the 80s. And, um, uh, you know... The first Terminator changed action movies. It, it definitely changed action movies. It took them into a much more, uh, much more adult and uh, gory and uh, just uh, just uh, even scary at times. That first Terminator um, and uh, based in the in eighties LA, uh, a great little screenplay. Also, I think it's an underrated screenplay. That first one just. Dudes show up in L.A., they say they're from the future, and uh, one person has to protect, you know, Sarah Connor from dying because her unborn child's going to, like, help the world in the future. You know, it's like, it's this crazy story this guy lays on her, and then um, and then you have to, as the viewer, you're kind of like, is this guy telling the truth? Is this Terminator, like, really an unkillable thing? And, like, what is this woman going to do about it? Uh, great performance by... Uh, What's her name? Linda Hamilton at the time. Also, really enjoyed Michael Bain's performance in the first one. Schwarzenegger. It's one of those roles where it like kind of made his career and also kind of uh, encapsulated the fact that he'd never really be able to act all at once. You know, it's one of those kind of <laughs> magical things. <laughs> um, and then so so that was like a, a a lightning bolt in the in the when did Terminator one? I want to say okay, nineteen eighty four. Um, so, and then T2, I think is 92, 91 and 91. And that, so I, I can remember my brother and my father leaving the house to go see that movie. And I was left behind and I was so pissed off. Um, but I do, I do remember there was this feeling of like, they, you know, Cameron can't top Terminator. You know, that's like, you can't do better than that kind of action movie. And then all like, as soon as that movie came out, it was like, not only did he top it, this is a movie I don't know that any action movie can top. And in some ways, no action movie really can. I think T2 is on that short list of best action movies ever. And I, that's I, T1 might be on that list, but I have no doubt that T2 is on that list. I think it's a great movie. There's a couple of just um, unbelievable, to this day, action sequences in that movie. Probably my favorite is the, uh, the motorcycle... Um, uh, big rig truck chase through the L.A. River, which is obviously not really a river. I think that's... Maybe James Cameron's best action sequence ever. Um, and so, yeah, in terms of James Cameron's career, that opened the doors into Titanic, basically. And then Titanic opened the doors to Avatar. And this is a guy 
that has more access to money than any other director today. Because basically, starting with the Terminator, he has always delivered on big budget movies. Probably the best big budget director I can think of of all time in Hollywood. He's got to be. He's got. He's got to be number gotta one. Be. I mean, you know, you can name anyone you want. Lucas Spielberg. You can go back to John fucking Ford if you want. I don't care. James Cameron has sold more tickets than maybe any person in history. I feel like he's also the best high-pressure one because every movie is more expensive than the last, and everyone's like, if this doesn't work, we don't know what's yeah, going to happen. True. And James Cameron's he, he doubles like... doubles down every movie. It's like every time, it's like even more money is on the line, but he does deliver. He does come through. He's like, and I've uh, been to the bottom of the Pacific, assholes. I can handle pressure. Don't worry about me. Yeah, don't, don't sleep on the abyss, people. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, great, great movie. We're going to need to talk about the James Cameron underrated movies at one point. Oh. <laughs> True lies. That's on my recommendations. <laughs> I love that movie. That is That to me is the best. Like That is what a pop, summer popcorn movie should be. That is the best it's summer popcorn. Uh, uh, one of the reasons True Lies has been buried is the post-9-11 climate. It's, it's very, very rough. Uh, these uh, Middle Eastern people in a very tall building, uh, you know, dealing with a... Uh, there's, some tough, there's some tough things going on there. <laughs> There are. It was. It was. It was. It was like five years before, though. It was very like prescient, and also the <laughs> the jet scene, the hover jet scene at the end yes. is hands down yeah. incredible. I heard that co- cost a ton of money, not only to rent the jet, but the amount of fuel they they burned during that sequence was. <laughs> I can only imagine how many takes he demanded. One more. <laughs> costing you twenty grand to take or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so back to the Terminator franchise. Beloved franchise for me. Honestly, I could watch one or two at the drop of a hat. I think they're easy movies to watch, easy to jump into. Yes, they're violent, um, but at the same time, it has to do with the robots. Um, <laughs> so, some of the violence isn't really fully realistic. The effects in two are unbelievable. One is a little lighter on effects and a little heavier on the acting and story. But the effects in two are unbelievable to this day. Um, I think, you know, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't, I don't expect this franchise to ever regain the heights that it once was at. I don't, it's like I never, I don't expect the world to to wake up one day and be like, you know what, Terminator Seven or whatever that we're going into. I'm really excited about this. I don't think we're ever going to get back there. Um, we're going so more my, towards my, my uh, like Friday the Thirteenth. We're going more towards Friday the Thirteenth territory than James Bond territory. Um, yeah, and so like my first thought in terms of fixing it might be that the smartest thing might be a reboot, which is a tough thing to say, but that might be the smartest thing to do. I, well, also I wanted to talk about. Um, so then there was Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines, which I have seen. Then there was Terminator Four: Salvation. The Christian Bale in the future John Connor movie. Which what are you? Are you a robot? There's also a famous clip from that movie of Bale <laughs> yelling at a light person, <laughs> in the just losing his fucking mind at some light person. It's an amazing audio clip to listen to, but it's like it's one of those moments. He's walking like, through my line. <laughs> yes, yes. It's one of these moments where Bale's reaching a little too far as an actor. And it's, he's really not in the right project. And I like I kind of know what they're trying to do with that movie, but he's he's just uh, I can tell you know Bale's a, uh, he's a he's a great actor, but he's also a tough guy to work with. And it's like if you're in just kind of a high budget action movie, maybe not everyone's taking it uh, like a Daniel Day Lewis part. 
Um, but so, like, there was that movie, and then recently there was, like, this Terminator Genesis thing where it was sort of a reboot, but they tried to change the timelines, and that was supposed to be a trilogy, and they made one movie, and then they just sort of shoved the whole thing as what I heard. And so that brings us, now we have Terminator Dark Fate, which I believe is coming out this weekend. Um, James Cameron's not directing, but he is the main writer, I believe. And so what I heard is this is his actual sequel to T2, and that you should disregard T3 and Terminator Salvation and Terminator Genesis, and that all you should do is think about the James Cameron movies, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, and that Linda Hamilton, Edward Furlong reprising their roles as Sarah Connor and John Connor in Terminator Dark Fate. Um, I I will not see this movie in the theaters. I will probably watch this on HBO. I doubt I'll rent it, but if it gets to HBO or, or Cinemax or something, I'll probably watch it just because I've seen all these other fucking Terminator movies, but I'm not expecting it to be good. As, as, how are you feeling? What, what are your thoughts about the Terminator franchise right now? Terminator Dark Fate coming out. Like, what's your level of interest? Like a two or a three, maybe? It's I'll give it like a four or five. And so, I, did you see three Salvation or Genesis or any of those? I've seen them all. I've seen them all. So <laughs> you saw Genesis? I've seen them all. Um, so <laughs> my my history is. A little similar, a little different. So I actually saw T two first, but I remember I remember seeing I remember the first time I saw Terminator two. It was I remember where I lived. It was I stayed up with my parents, and it was like the three of us. And I remember being blown away. Like I was young. I was probably it was probably ninety one, ninety two, whatever. It was, uh, my parents used to let me watch a lot of movies with them. So it, I was young. It must have been. It was no later than ninety two, ninety three. So I was young, but I'd already seen a lot of like adult movies. But I just remember that was like the first movie I remember, if that makes sense. Like that was a movie because I remember when it opens. So I never saw Terminator 1, but my dad explained it to me. He's like – he was just like explaining that there was time travel and stuff. So I didn't really get it. But uh, I just remember the opening scene where it's that like future battlefield with like the robots walking around. Yes. Yeah. And I was like from that moment was like blown away. Like, fascinated. And I remember them, like, time traveling. I didn't understand my dad and mom explaining to me what was happening. I remember, like, them closing my eyes and me looking through when he's, like, trying to, like, peek through the – like, when he, like, messes up the bikers. Where I'm going with this is, like, I – all these were a lot of firsts for me. But I just – Terminator 2, to me, is one of, like, the best movies. And it's – not only do I remember, it, like, loving it the first time, but it's aged so well. And every time I watch it, I think it's one of the best, not only best has, action movies. It's hard for an action movie to age well, too. And I really think Terminator 2 has aged well. And it's, I'm, I'm always say practical effects are big. And like, I, after seeing T1 later, I see that was, it seemed that was more practical. And like, I see why that aged well. But like Terminator 2, like, there's tons of practical effects, but there's tons of CGI, too. And they do CGI better yes. than any, like, the T1000 is still great. Like, you look at it now and you might be like, oh, it's a little dated, but, like, it's fine. Like, it still works. Like, I think where – so Terminator 2 is, like, one of my favorite movies. Now, it was one of my favorites at the time. I was crying at the end. I still get emotional at the end. Like, it was oh, just – And it was the – And, yeah, and it was so – And that, to me, was, like, the first time, like, when I was, like – I just remember being, like – Whoa, like it was the first time I saw an action movie that wasn't like a He-Man or, 
Ninja Turtles. Couple, I think one of the great things, yeah, one of the great decisions about T two is ch- changing the Arnold character because you set up this crazy villain so well in the first Terminator. Like he is the Terminator, he's the guy you're scared of, and then to shift that to the Guardian role and to kind of, and then also create the T one thousand kind of out of scratch. And by the way, Robert Patrick, some great, uh, some great villain acting in T uh, two there too. Uh, so there's, I'm going to tell you my my theory, the curse of the T one thousand. After you, please finish your thought. But oh, I, 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 my, I've well, I just, yeah, a very I strong theory of, about yeah, that. It's hard to explain how people really didn't think he was going to top T one. Also, by the way, James Cameron's heavily involved in the Aliens franchise. People did not think he was going to top Alien, and then he did with Aliens in a lot of ways. And so going into T two. There was this same thing where it's like, how are you going to make this sequel? And then to not only make it better, but to just like to just hit it that far out of the park was just not expected. <laughs> okay, that's and that's actually a great way to describe because I actually had seen Aliens by this age, and I knew he'd done that. So like I like I like not I didn't go in with expectations, but I like knew there was like a quality. Yes. Like yeah. even at that age, like I knew I was going to expect a certain quality, and Aliens too. We're gonna that Aliens. That's all. That's a. We're not going to say anything else about that because that's like three podcasts. That's one of my favorite yeah. movies of oh, all yeah, time. We'll get into that, but it's yeah. It's important to note that like that aliens happened before T two, and so it's sort of like in the in the lineage of James Cameron movies, he's building to this moment. Um, but yeah, I think you know if it's a lot like Marvel. Run, like he kept like surpassing. <laughs> he keeps ex- surpassing expectations. Yes, and it's uh, yeah. I just think if. I think most people, if they were making a sequel to The Terminator, they would have been like, wow, Arnold really worked as this villain. Let's go even further. You know, let's just keep doing that. Like, that really scared people. But to, to know right away, to shift him and to make a new villain. Um, and the T-1000 is great. Uh, the effects are great. Robert Patrick is really cool uh, in the role. Um, <laughs> what is the curse of the T-1000? I can't wait to hear this. Oh, I, I think it's... Um... So just and this actually plays perfectly into my feelings on the franchise. So I love Terminator Two. Went off a lot of rabbit holes there, but that was just I remember I loved everything about that movie, and that was like one of the first. That was like a defining movie in like my movie love culture. Like I saw that movie at home. That was like after that I wanted to see movies in theaters. Like I was like, I that was like I just remember like early on in my fandom, and I've like as I said rewatched it all the time. It's a movie I can watch. I probably watched it top yeah. five, ten I've seen in my life, and you could, you could put on right now, and I'd be wrapped, have wrapped attention the whole time. It's like almost a perfect movie. So, going from there, I ended up seeing T1 later, um, and for me, it was different. Like, I was still young, and so I didn't fully appreciate T1, like um, Terminator, the original Terminator. When I saw it initially, I think I saw T3 before I saw Terminator 1 again. Oh, wow. But, like... I, I I use as you know I'm weird with some movies like that, but um like ranking them all together like Terminator One and also appreciating where it came and like the chronology like I think the first two are, are undeniably some of the best Perfect. movies ever. I would only put T two on the greatest action movie list that you were talking about. To me, that like T two is definitely on it. T one just aged a bit. It got aged out, which it's not its fault. It just like like it happens to a lot of good movies. Yeah. Like, it happened at the first Star Wars, I think. Like, Empire Strikes Back still in there, but the first Star Wars got aged out as a great action movie. But- I agree with you. I, T2 is a better movie. Um, what I'll say about T1, uh, uh, 
not that this is that important. I think Michael Bane gives the best performance of any actor in any of these movies. Yeah. I think Michael Bane in T1 is a really good leading action performance. Um, Linda Hamilton's good in that movie. I think she's better in T2. Um, I think Arnold, um, <laughs> this may be controversial. I like Arnold more in T1. I know that people like him kind of turning into the soft cuddly Terminator in T2 with Edward Furlong. They're, I mean, I, I they have he has some chemistry with Edward Furlong. There's some fun scenes there. I just think I think he works. I think his stoic, stupid acting style actually works better in the robotic, actual Terminator role. Um, but I agree. I think Terminator One's aged out a little bit. Still really watchable though. Not not a hard movie to go back and watch. Still great. I just think it removes it from like the greatest list. Like it's just been like just aged out. Like in terms of like I for me, that. in terms of like, like that, it's like in the same way. Yeah. I, like I would put Empire Strikes Back on that list. I probably would put A New Hope on that list. That's exactly like that to me is like the line I'm drawing, and it's not a sequel yeah. thing. But uh, those movies. So you get what I'm saying. Uh, I get it, yeah. But for me, I think T3 was actually good. Like, the message of T3 I thought, thought was scary, and it was that, like, the whole idea at the end of T3 was that, um, sorry, I keep saying T3, it's Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, was that... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> that's true. Whatever. But that the future was immutable. Was that, like, it, that it wasn't about saving humanity. Like, humanity was already saved. Right. John O'Connor... was always going to happen. John yes, Con- I remember this. Like, John Connor was going to save humanity... It was just about the war. Like it was basically like it was happening no matter what. And so right. for me at the end of T3, that's what I was excited for. And I was like, okay, like I want to see John Connor. I want the whole the, – so coming into it from T2 when I did, I like – and like starting off with that action sequence at the beginning, my dad like literally like the pep talk was this guy is the savior of humanity. So it's like this warrior Jesus character in my little like right. eight-year-old brain – I'm like, who is he? And you see him, and boom, it snaps, and then you get the Terminator 2 and everything else. At the so end, I will of- say my take on T3 real quick, um, and the, all the Terminator movie, one of the main themes in Terminator is can you change fate or is fate uh, a fixed thing, kind of. Um, I think T3 is a bad movie. It's similar to what's, what happened with some of the Star Wars movies. I think T3 is a bad movie, but it works inside the Terminator world, kind of. It still is following, like, those rules and stuff, similar to the prequels of Star Wars. Like, those are bad movies, but, like, at least you're still following these rules you set up in this world. I think by the... I don't know if it's... I don't know. Well, okay. Now we're getting to Salvation. So what? what where are you on Salvation? So my this is my problem with Salvation, and this is my problem with the whole franchise. Once they get, and then after this, I'm going to give you the T1000 curse, which is like an okay. overall other problem. The whole franchise coming into it, my whole understanding was about John Connor was the savior of humanity, and even seeing T1, that's the whole thing. The whole move, the whole franchise is these crazy alien, this crazy super artificial robot technology intelligence, whatever. It, by the way, the pre-Matrix, this with Skynet and the machines, that was like that was pre- I mean, that was the enemy. Exactly, like, it wasn't a person. It was like this Skynet thing of machines. James Cameron, this was the first time I feel like our consciousness, at least like I remember being seated, like technology can turn on us, and it's Skynet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and they're all they're trying to do. They can they have these crazy armies. They have these soldiers. Whatever they're trying to kill this one man, John Connor. Why? Who is he? Why is he so important? I want to learn more about him. That's always been my fascination with him since that first opening trailer, right. or whatever. 
and so, like again to go back to the fate thing where as you were explaining how in t3 it's really like you can't avoid judgment day from the machine's perspective it's kind of like you can't avoid john connor this guy is going to grow up and defeat you eventually and so it's like this whole idea of them sending you know terminators back in time to kill him or his mother it's all playing with that fate sort of aspect of it and that and that for me is like ex- exactly like that to me is the bigger question. We know why we're sending all these things back. When are we going to learn about them? So for me, Salvation, I was hoping we'd get to see him. And you really don't. Like, yeah, it's John Connor, but he's at that in that movie, he's only a soldier. He's not the general. He's taking orders. And it's like you see and it like, wasn't what I imagined John Connor was gonna be like. And it's like Michael Ironside, who's a great actor, but like he he's like he's reporting to this guy. And we don't know why. But first of all, they don't they don't never explain why he's not a general. But so in that and that's not even his movie. Like that movie's about Marcus, and we're gonna have a whole conversation about that actor. Kyle Reese. I, I hate that actor. We're gonna have a whole conversation. And about he's him. the guy that played Kyle Reese, is that right? He, no, no, no. He's the one who played Marcus, who is the mysterious. Ends up being oh. a robot who gives John right. Connor his heart, right. his robot heart, right. to survive. Right. I know. I, I recall this. It was, it was yeah. bad. So for me, like that, like I, I was for exactly T three. Not a great movie, but within the franchise, I was willing to roll, willing to roll with it. I thought it was going to get yeah, me yeah. to a better place, uh, and that's something Marvel movies always do well. Even their shitty movies, they like they when they have a bad movie, they just put it on the grenade, let it blow up, and walk right over it, and they yeah. use it to get somewhere better. And that's I was what I was hoping Terminator would do. It's like okay, this Salvation movie is going to be great. No. Uh, that, see, so Salvation was the it was like yeah you had you had your dud in T three but like you still are within the world Salvation was the one where it's like okay we got Christian Bale we're gonna try to do this a little more serious like I, I get that was the one where I was like maybe the franchise can come back here maybe they'll make this good futuristic John Connor movie and it was just such a mess they gave him zero story and he tried to make up for it with screaming and he did the Batman he did his worst acting tool which was the Batman like cow voice yeah. what are you doing here it's, yeah, it's very, why are you here it was, it was very bad. It misses on a lot of levels. The first battle scene, when you're finally getting to see them fight the robots, it's like there's an explosion and a big thing. Like, you, you don't get to see a lot of the action. but um, so I, do, I do think that's the bigger missed. Uh, T3's kind of like whatever, but that, Salvation's the one where it's like this kind of killed the whole thing here. Well, that yeah, it was like, okay, T3 was like the first two or whatever, wins, touchdowns, whatever you want to call them. T3 was like, you're in the red zone. Like, you got, like, you move the ball, but you need to score the next time. And Salvation was like a fumble return for a touchdown. The other other problem with T3 is they don't really develop another star. It's like, out of T1 and T2, you got Michael Bain, you got Linda Hamilton, you got Arnold. Even Edward Furlong goes on to, like, have American History X after that. You know, it's like, there's actors that come out of those movies. And it's like... You know, it's not like Nick Stahl or Claire Danes really, like, hit it big after T3 or anything. And it's the same with, you know, it's like, when you go to a new cast, you're going to need some of those actors to click, too. And it's like, I feel like that's the other sort of lingering problem with this franchise, is that it hasn't moved on from that class. To my point, Dark Fate has Arnold and Linda Hamilton and Edward Furlong in it, because it's like they still haven't moved on from that class of actors. Well, I think that's where, I think... They may be 
I think that may be a good thing to have a lot of these people back because that's like if you want to get back to what worked, like that was not the Edward Furlong, Edward Furlong, or any of them are at like the peak of their career, but they don't need to be like they just need to be like likable and like if if they can fit in, if they can just slip into these roles again, like people are going to be excited. And if I think that's what they should be going for, like I think the best way to fix this is to go back to where they left off, and that's like T two, and like I think this one is a reboot. Re that is what, supposedly where they're kind of going. And based off the reviews, like they're probably doing. It's apparently first of all, with Rotten Tomatoes, they the way they can do it is like, oh yeah, it's sixty one seven percent now, but it's because like seventy friendly reviews are up and then like when a hundred more come out it might drop to 40 like but right now it seems to be pretty well reviewed barring anything crazy or crazy manipulation like i think i think they've clearly like turned a corner but like i'm a little more worried that like they might not like it might not be relevant enough and like mad max is probably an argument against that because mad max was probably was definitely more irrelevant than terminator but mad max was a huge hit but like that also had like tom hardy and like that had like a, a great cast. Yeah, so okay, the, now the different I would say the main difference between that Mad Max comeback and what's going on with Terminator right now is that uh, what what's his the director uh, George Romero right yeah he's no 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 George sorry what's his name I gotta look this up real quick I don't want to sound too dumb. Um, I want to say Wallaby. I know it's not Wallaby. And that's it's, just it's like not, a he's Australian, obviously. George I'm, Miller. Yeah, yeah, George Miller. So, um, by the way, yeah. we're gonna have to cancel out the Wallaby thing. That's gonna that's gonna get you in trouble, Seth. Seth said that. Seth said um, that. <laughs> so yeah, to me, the difference between those franchises right now, George Miller is still a hundred percent in the leadership armchair. I'm directing. I'm writing. I'm creating everything. Like I am the total captain of this ship. James Cameron, since T2, has not been in that chair. He's, he's written some stuff, he's produced some stuff, but he has not gotten back into the director's seat. He's not really taken the reins of the franchise again, and uh, he's, not, he's not the director of Dark Fate, and so it's not, like I'm, it's not like I'd go into Dark Fate you know, thinking of it as a James Cameron movie, whereas like the next Mad Max movie, most obviously, is going to be a George Miller movie. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like if Cameron came back into the fold and was like, "I'm gonna make a Terminator movie bigger than Avatar or whatever," that would get my attention for sure. I, I think that's also probably the easiest way to fix it, and that's my concern because I'm not excited about the Avatar series. Oh, not at all. I'm willing, and we're gonna have a whole conversation about that too. <laughs> Avatar One is a movie I didn't really. It was fine. I disliked. But uh, it was fine, and then when it started winning all these awards and breaking all these records, the more success it had, the more I hated it. And I am so happy that Avengers Endgame beat it, because Avatar, to me, is Fern Gully. And I know I told you this all the time. It's Fern Gully with, like, a dose of Smurfs, and it's just, like... It's not a good movie. It's not. It's not. It's not a good movie. And it's also such a white... did some new effects and stuff. If um, it was made 10 years later, it would have totally bombed for being a white savior. Like, it was literally made at the last possible, like, I do. I still think some of the ticket, like, they did, they sold so much IMAX tickets. I just feel like some of the box office numbers were kind of fudged. Well, they also crushed timing and that, like, they were, it was a, it, it was a good movie. I'll give it, I'm not going to sit here. It was a good movie. It was entertaining. Yeah. It was way too long. I remember falling asleep, like, one or two times, which didn't, ever happened to me like because it was so long 
I was a little high too. Well, I was a high too, Seth. Don't judge crushed. me. Don't judge me. No judgment. It, it crushed internationally. Also, it was it was a bigger hit internationally than it was here. Yeah. And so, I mean, whatever. The Chinese people love it. God bless them. I uh, I'm also going to say this here. He also re-released it, and Avengers beat it both on the initial release and the re-release. So, you heard it here first, Seth. Uh, the Avengers people are good business people. I don't think that says anything about the quality of the movies. <laughs> Wait, you you think Endgame is better than... I haven't seen Endgame. Uh, I think the, the two Avengers movies I've seen, I think, are better. I don't think Avatar is a good movie at all. Uh, I have not seen Endgame yet. I hate to disappoint you. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, just the highest grossing movie of all time, Seth. You call yourself a cinephile. I mean, I planned, I planned to see it. I just... Uh... I was, it wasn't like it was a movie I was looking forward to. I, I saw, what did I, the last Marvel book? I saw Black Panther. Does that count for anything? That does count for something. I didn't did actually... I you, I, did I give you my hot take on Black Panther, by the way? I don't know, but give it... I, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't actually like Black Panther all that much. And, like, that's uh, not... I, I didn't dislike it. I just I, thought I, it was no, fine. It's, 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 it's almost blasphemous for a white person to say they didn't like Black Panther. It's okay. You can... You can it's It's fine. I didn't like it, and uh, one of the reasons, well, not just for the fact that I didn't think it was a great movie, I didn't understand why we decided this was, like, this big moment for African-American actors and directors. Like, Wesley Snipes was in Blade. It was a comic book movie. It was 15 years earlier. Why are we on our knees sucking Wesley Snipes' dick? Hot take. (laughs) I mean, I can't argue with the pro Wesley Snipes stance. I love Wesley Snipes. I love those Blade movies. I also think we're going to get into a whole early comic book movie. Like the, we don't have the MCU without the early Blade, Unbreakable, well, X-Men, like, I just think Spider-Man there were things movie. said about Black Panther that like you could have said about Blade and that was a while ago. <laughs> That's actually really true. I actually never thought about that. Uh, but I think the, I think what's different is that it was like an almost all black cast and well, wait, Seth, wait, Seth, Seth, wait, let me rephrase this in a better way. Do you want to know? We didn't get to choose. They chose. They chose this. Is, right. This was the move. So it was a little different. There was a little more involvement. Right. From, I, that being said, let's not forget about Wesley Snipes. Hey. <laughs> I love, I'll never forget about Wesley Snipes. That's, he was actually, I saw Zombieland too. Just a little shout out. He has a nice little, nice oh, little, man. uh. Um, anyway, so back, um. Do, do you want to get to what my half-assed, half-baked fix for the Terminator would be? Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking about this, um, and I was trying to think about what I really liked about the Terminator and like what I would want. Because I, well, yeah, also I want to hear your T-1000 curse, but I think it's hard to like create new villains in this Terminator universe at this point. I kind of would like the universe more to be... The T, I think it's the T-800 is the Schwarzenegger version, and the T-1000 is the, the liquid metal Robert Patrick version. And I wish, I kind of wish that the Terminator world just stuck to those two. And it was like, you had your first one, and you had your upgrade. Maybe there's, like, one other crazy special one you built, you know, that's, like, different. But, like, I think those two should be, like, the primary Terminator weapons, so to speak. And so any movie I made would only involve those two models. I wouldn't be going for the fembot, sexual, sexy Terminator. I wouldn't be going for any of that. I wouldn't be going for the, the half-human, half-Terminator thing they try to do in Salvation. I think they're also doing something similar to that in this new one with the Mackenzie Davis character. I know she's being added to this franchise. She's, she's human. Not, 
She was also in the in the Blade Runner sequel. I don't know if you've seen that or if you want to talk Blade Runner at some point. Let's we let, let's save that. that can of worms for another one. I, we're gonna have to get Dave Camino for that. Dave Camino is oh, a huge defender of that movie. Really? Wow, man! One of the best movies he's seen, Seth. But Blade, the first Blade Runner is still in my top ten all time. Which like, version? The original Blade Runner. Which version? Oh, uh, the director's cut, not the not the uh, narrated Harrison Ford cut. That's a the theatrical. <laughs> is, is a, that's a version I cannot get through more than five minutes. I have to turn it off because it wrecks my. Yeah, I love the theatrical so much. I, I've the, seen I've seen like good I've seen good and bad, bad versions of Blade Runner. I'm I'm a little skeptical, but we'll save that for another one. We'll save that for director's another. kind of Blade Runner. One of my top ten favorite movies. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've also re- I mean I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. I've read, read a lot of his books. I've read Do Androids Believe in Electric Sheep? So I go back a ways with Blade Runner. Back to Terminator. <laughs> All right, you you keep going, okay? Okay. Back. The way I would, um, I the way I think I would fix Terminator, because the things I like about it uh, have to do with 80s LA and that feel of the first one. I also really like the Kyle Reese character. I like the way Michael Bain plays that character. I don't know if I would like, I don't know if I would, um, obviously I don't think I'd recast Michael Bain, but I also, I think I might try to break a rule sort of thing where uh, I don't know if there's any way to pretend that Michael Bain's alive after Terminator 1, but I would kind of enjoy a movie about Kyle Reese in 80s L.A., maybe with Linda Hamilton, but I would sort of like another story involving that, and I like it more when... I like it more when Judgment Day and the War with the Machines is sort of like a distant thing in the, in the future timeline, and it's not really a present or relevant thing, and it's more talked about... Uh, down the road, and so, um, yeah, I guess you know, keeping it, keeping the '80s LA vibe, uh, keeping the Kyle Reese character, and um, not, yeah, not going as crazy with the effects, keeping the Terminators to just the two more uh, knowable models. Not totally, not 100 percent sure what I would have the plot of this movie be about. You know, you could always have the Terminators from the future send another machine back to the past or something. But or maybe they go after I don't know someone else in the Connor family. Uh, we also we never know if John Connor has a son. I don't know if it's worth him uh, having a child and creating another character there. Obviously, there's no kid in T3. Um, although I get, I feel like they allude to John Connor and Claire Danes like having a kid at the end of that movie. I thought they did. It should have been a daughter if they were smart. Um, but so yeah. Anyway, it's like I would kind of I would try to sort of break a rule and keep Kyle Reese alive after Terminator One and like do another story with Kyle Reese in eighties LA. Going <laughs> <laughs> back to what works. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I was just like, that's sort of what I like about that. I like, I, uh, it's hard. I was thinking about Arnold too. And it's just like, should Arnold be involved with these movies still? Or should they try to sort of cut bait with him? And it's hard. It's hard to know. I feel like he's kind of the draw, but it's also like, you've got, you squeeze that juice as much as you can. And it's like, maybe you need to go in another direction now. And I think Kyle Reese is the only other character that sort of has some cachet. I don't know. What? <laughs> so, what's your take? Well, first of all, I think bringing Michael Bain back is the way to fix possibly two franchises: that this franchise oh, wow. and Aliens. But we're gonna we're gonna save the Aliens conversation for later. Um, 
I don't think you actually necessarily have to bring back Michael Bane, but again, I want to go back to, I think I want to go back to the future. I want to go back to the one who sent back. Uh, you want to go to post judgment day war with machines post judgment day. I want to know that John Connor who sent back the T 800 who sent back the T two Arnold. Like, Oh, I see. Like Not Kyle Reese who sent back. Right. Right. And so this is, and so to bring into my larger conversation about the, my, or excuse me, the bigger, my, Curse of the T-1000, I think what the biggest issue for the franchise is, I think they lost sight of what was scary about this franchise. Like, again, coming in from T2, it's a little different, but the first two franchises, like, the artificial intelligence aspect, Skynet is what's scary. Like, the T-800 and even the T-1000 were just, like, branches of Skynet, which was, like, the real scary, like, right. that that was the terrifying thing about the franchise, or the, the story. T-1000, though, by the end of it, like, by the end of the second movie, the T-1000 was what everyone was scared about, not Skynet, like, and I think it's... I think that, by the time you get to that scene where he crashes with the cryogenic truck or whatever, and the, it goes to a million pieces, and he freezes, and then he melts... What a, again, another amazing effect scene. But it's like after that, he melts and comes back together. That's you're just like, there's no way we're stopping this fucking guy. Exactly. No and that was one of the scenes I, again, I remember being like, that was, the, there were just so many scenes in that movie I remember being like, that either, I remember it vividly the first time because I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, that's possible? Like, something yeah, could that's do that? A scene that you know, clearly influenced comic book movies. It's just a great, seen on a lot of levels there and again playing to the effects like the effects yeah. in this movie were incredible um but for me well oh so the curse of the 2000 even in that movie skynet's what's scary but like coming away from that movie everyone thought of 2000 when it jumps onto the helicopter and breaks through like it's just right. t1000 yeah. was once as unstoppable and also i think it was genius like robert patrick that's his name right yes yes yeah he's like this like in that movie too, he like he looks like an average guy. Like he is an average guy, and he is kicking the shit out of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who looks like also not to be lost is just white policeman in L.A. at this time. You know what I mean? That's like another thing going on. A hundred percent, clearly a villain. Well, that was the other thing too. I remember being like a policeman's bad. Again, I was so young. I was like a policeman can be bad, and my mom and dad were like, "He's not an actual policeman. He's just dressed like a policeman." And like, but like right. it was a terrifying concept. Like this person could look like anyone, like an authority figure, a parent. And, like, I think the problem was they lost sight of every movie after that, especially starting with T3 and all of them after that. They lost sight that Skynet was scary. It wasn't the Terminators they sent. And, like, because yeah. in the third one, it's like they have, oh, they made her a femme fatale, which I think there's something there that was a good way. That was actually a good thing. At the same time, though, it is, like, like the Arnold – Arnold's Terminator in the first one's like an iconic villain, and I think the T-1000 is like another iconic villain. So I do think going into that third one, they were like, we got to come up with a third. Like, a, And it's like, that's just hard to do. Like, it's hard to do that once, and they got lucky to do it twice. Exactly, and I think it's now become like a try-hard thing. And like, I think that's yeah. the problem with all these. Like, And even the next one, it's like, oh, it can replicate. Like, cool. Yeah. Like, we've seen this in other movies, like maybe not with a, a, a robot. Like, we've seen these. That's the other thing, too. Comic book movies have made, like, Almost a lot of these sci-fi concepts and powers and everything that they're trying to play right. with, like and we see, like shape shifting. That was a thing before the Terminator movie. So in a way, it's like he's kind of borrowing from comics and then he's giving it off to you know. It's like there's a lot going on. Also, the way they did, like the way they did the shape shifting, was really. It's Very hard. Nice. 
it, and that's what James Cameron's known for. But that that's what James Cameron's known for is all these iconic effects. But to your point, he's not actually like hands on on this movie. So like, it's not like you're getting the James Cameron like name, but like, it's not him actually making the movie and nothing against, I think it's Tim Miller, nothing against him. He's a good director, but like the matrix was a great sci-fi movie that also like had like, I don't want to say world changing effects. I feel like that's too dramatic, but they were like iconic effects. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Like they had special effects that were became iconic and then like tropes and all these in the same genre as in other movies. And it's hard to ask, it's hard to ask a director or like team to do that in and out every movie. But I totally agree. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to do that once. And it's like, it's catching light in a bottle to do it once. And it's like, it, yeah, it doesn't really happen in Terminator 1. I would say that's driven more by other things. But in T2, the, the effects and the action sequences hold up by any era. Any era. Those, those sequences will hold up. It's like, it's just like, it's like a perfect game. It's like you're literally watching someone at the top of this craft. Like, it's like there's nothing. And there's the very nothing. early stages of, you know, just very early stages of all that kind of stuff. And it just looks really good. <laughs> That's the thing. I think of that movie in Jurassic Park a lot when I think of special effects that hold up really well. And I'm just like, like they used them as sparingly as they could. And then when they did, like it was a lot of practical. And when they did use special effects, like they used it properly. Like they knew how right. to like, like light it. I don't know what, like I, but like they did, they did it in a way that it felt real and it, it worked. All right. So should I talk about what I think? Did I already say what I, how I think they should fix it? No, well, give me your full. Uh, I don't think I got your full fix here. <laughs> where, where I, I can't. Remember. You, you said you said you wanted to bring back Michael Bane. Oh, that would be nice to bring back Bane. Um, so I think I, I I told you why I liked it, right? Like it was like a big movie for me, like in my fandom, yes. yeah, yeah, and all that. Um, and so for me, like again, coming in at the beginning of T two, what I loved was the concept of John Connor. Again, as I said before, why were these? Why were the machines spending all this effort to kill one man? Oh, right. So you're yeah. Okay. So you're you were you were getting into this. You were saying you want to go back to present day war with the machines, post Judgment Day, and that we see the John Connor in charge of the army, and we we learn why he sends back the Terminator Guardian to John Connor and Sarah Connor. More importantly, I want to learn why and how the machines learned they couldn't defeat John Connor. Did they travel into the future? How many times did they travel in the future? I'm more interested to learn how did the machines... I guess my take on the machines is that they know John Connor is going to beat them in this war. And so but they how? Have to find but how? Kill him at some point. But how do they know he's going to defeat him in the war? Just like they... I, like, I think that's from futuristic time traveling, like you're saying. But that's but that's my question. We have no idea. Like, I did they send yeah, things into don't. the future? And then my whole question is: is why is John Connor a threat to them? Why John Connor? Why no one else? Like, and, well, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's like if you know he's the key person to win that war, I guess. Maybe the answer is then what I kind of thought it might be was after T three was that John Connor gives birth to the next generation, like. Maybe it wasn't John Connor. Like maybe it was like one of his kids. Like oh yeah, because right. it's that like could be, you know that could be like a twist or something. And like maybe that's the thing with the girl in this one. Like there, I again not to speculate, but like I do. Yeah, I would be interested also in just being like the machines developing, going from the Arnold to the T one thousand. That would be interesting to see from the other end, and then sending that T one thousand back and be like, 
they killed this Arnold this way so they can't kill this liquid metal guy, you know. Oh, and so I, I never really finished my thought on the T-1000 curse. So the, the whole thing with the T-1000 curse, to bring it back to that, is the first, seeing it in the full context, Arnold was, you said it, the first two were iconic. Then in the right. third, then after that, they just kept trying so hard. Like, they kept making them more and more unbeatable, but still, like, they were beaten. Like, I think it ended up, like, instead of making it these, like, really menacing villains, I think it made it more cartoonish because you knew that, because they ended up being defeated. You knew they'd be defeated. And, right. like, whether and just, it's... Like, I think there was a practicality of going from that, that Arnold model to that T-1000. You're like, this does make sense that, like, if you were going to to a next generation of this, it would be like this liquid metal. Like there was sort of, but like going to the fembot, it was like, what's the advantage of this? Exactly. And to me, the scariest thing about Skynet wasn't that they had the T-1000 or T-800 or whatever. It was that they could time travel. Like what else could they do? Like it's, I like they leaned into the, like I think the, they leaned into the more, I don't want to say smaller, but it was like the more physical, like tactical, like tactile parts of the villain. It's like, they're very real and like they're it's going to be the hand of the right of the and overall to, to say, it's like the humans could also be time traveling more supposedly because it's like clearly john connor is using that technology so yeah it's uh, you know and it, that's the other thing that's the other thing with the humans you can all fucking time travel what else can you do like that's what i'm like what can yeah. you what like that's an interesting point because it's like so the time period you're talking about they're both they're both able to time travel and it's like if you're able to look at the future and the past and you're in the middle of a war and you can change small things and change you know make different decisions i do think that there is something sort of like compelling about that it's like to, so to me i think coming in, that is where i think they left off that was the strongest part t2 t1 was iconic t2 was they even they raised the peak somehow I don't think you need to like rule T three out entirely, but for me, I think you somehow need to play into like the you need to play into the timeline. You're playing with alternate futures, and maybe it's that conversation that they have in Avengers Endgame, which you haven't seen. Spoiler alert! But it's the whole idea of time travel, and it's like, do you change a past or do you create a new one? Like, can you change your future or do you create just a different like? Right. And so, like, yeah. So. Sorry. Also, that's not that's not giving too much away. That's just a small thing. But um, but then I want to learn about John Connor. Why is John Connor so dangerous? How and like for me again, why is he so essential to like beating the machines? Why is he so essential? How did they both use time travel? And like for me, like at this point, like at this point, they both seem pretty like pretty fucking dangerous like at what point does mutually assured assured destruction come into play and they're like let's uh yeah maybe we just call this whole thing off i know what you're saying well like maybe Uh, maybe the reason they're trying to kill a john connor isn't that he defeats them but that he makes peace with them or he's the one who makes peace with machines and there's machines that don't want to there's like a group of machines that don't want peace matrix ending (laughs) but that's like but maybe but like that and yeah yeah and it makes sense and i will say this matrix in hindsight matrix three like they didn't do a great job delivering the message, but the message being that peace, like, like it's not what you want or expect, but like the a peace you can live with is better than like a war the, you can't like win. The movie you're describing is like kind of what I thought salvation was gonna or like was supposed to be. I think that's what you thought it was supposed to be too, right? The more I talk about it, and like it's probably been informed by like thinking about all these movies in hindsight, but like now that we're talking about it, like yeah, like I think. 
Yeah, because it's like, oh my god, like that's the one sort of time period we didn't get to see. Then we did get to see it, but then like they don't, they don't do any of the things. Yeah, that you're talking about. Just like, is it? Do we beat the robots with like machine guns and lasers and like bombs? Really? Like, yeah, it's just like grit your teeth together and pull out <laughs> some guns and like uh, you know, yeah. Like also, sense. my other question now is like, where, where do we have the industries to build these weapons? Like again, like how do we have the the means to do time travel? But like, like. I guess what I'm going with is like the future. Everyone's got to be like a you know Kyle Reese is like a MacGyver. He can put tubes and gunpowder together. He's got bombs. Like everyone, apparently back in the future, everyone knows how to make bombs by the time they're a little kid or something. I don't think Kyle Reese is just like a Joe Schmo off the street. I think he's like the man from back then. (laughs) (laughs) I you know I just thought he was a little hoodlum kid that learned tricks of the trade (laughs) on the sidewalk. I don't know. Oh, that's you clearly saw salvation. He was just a little like street rat. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I still think so. Like I, 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 yeah, the movie you were describing, I would enjoy seeing, and I think Salvation was supposed to be that movie. It's it's too bad they missed that hard on that movie. And I'm sorry. I feel like I know. I keep saying I keep rewriting these movies, and that's not fair. And it's not that I necessarily want to hear that or see those specific things. It's just more so. I guess I'm like, I don't. I'm disappointed with a lot of like the. The way, the way they went or the choices they took, like a lot of them didn't really like. Right, fulfill. and that like at the, also like I think we're both fully aware. Like T three Salvation, a lot of these are money grabs. Like we're aware of that. We know that they're not trying as hard as James Cameron was trying back in the eighties or anything. But at the same time, it's like when you're dealing with one of these franchises, any of the ones that we've talked about, it's like it's it kind of is precious material because it's like. Everyone who's uh, who's indebted to those franchises are going to see the next movie, and we all have a certain expectation about it. And it's like if you don't deliver, then where are we left? <laughs> okay, so thank you for saying that. And this is my this is my feeling, and this drives me nuts. Whenever people get mad, if you're making a movie, and I don't care if you're a production studio, a writer, a director, whatever, and you're making a comic book movie, a Star Wars movie, a Harry Potter movie. A Blade Runner movie, any movie that has a built-in, like, very loud, very passionate audience, and you're making a movie and it's not well-received, and you're like, these these fans are toxic, I'm like, no, no, no. These fans, <laughs> you literally are trying to, act, like, you want these fans to pay the money they paid in the past for the same franchise to go to your movie. Right. Like, I understand as an artist, you want to give them something different, you want to do something new, but, like, clearly there's a way to do it and a way to not. Where I'm going with this is it drives me crazy when people blame like toxic fandom for these like big franchises like last Jedi or even like dark Phoenix or Avengers movies, whatever W uh, DC movies, any of them, Harry Potter and the last fantastic beast. Like, Oh, like people have too high expectations. That's not, that's unfair for you. Cause you, you made this movie based on those expectations. You based that you made this movie expecting these fans to pay a lot of money probably multiple times to see this movie. So you owe them a certain level of quality. And if totally agree. And it's like, once, once any of these franchise, you know, once a star Wars is established or whatever, Mad Max or the Terminator or the aliens, it's like, there's a certain, there's a atmosphere and like rules that are kind of in place there. And so it's like, 
when you make one of those movies, you're fully expected to stay within that world and follow those rules. And it's like, I don't think it's that. It's the same thing when you make a James Bond movie. Yeah. No one, you know, no one's expecting James Bond to die in the second act. Uh, he better not order a fucking scotch. If James Bond orders a scotch at the bar, there's going to be fucking hell to pay. He's not ordering, like, like exactly. Like, yeah, you're not going to kill him off in the first 20 minutes. Like, yeah, like, like, and there's one thing it's, you can subvert expectations. And then there's like, okay, you can subvert expectations. Yeah, and, it's fine to play. Yeah, exactly. You can play with those things, subvert it, but it's like... Or you can Ryan Johnson like, it. I'm going to try and make that a thing. You can Ryan Johnson it, and you can just, like, flub your nose in an entire fan base and be like, go screw yourself. And the fan base will say, you know what, Ryan Johnson? No. Go screw yourself. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the right to do it. Um, but I do, yeah, I think it's like anyone who's attempting one of these movies, it's like... The first step to me is just sort of like understanding the world and staying inside that world and following the direction you want to. But coming in and just smashing the world apart to pieces, I don't think ever works really. No. And that's a, like, uh, there's like some people who are like, oh, I've read this and I like it. And like, that's much different from being like, oh, I'm a fan of this. And like, I think that's, that's when you can yeah. get like caught up in it. Like it's Zack Schneider is a great example of that. Like Zack Schneider was like, oh, I love Batman. And he, like, he read through Dark Knight Returns, which is, like, definitely one of the better, darker, more, like, modern interpretations. Uh, Alan Moore's, I think, Dark Knight Returns. And it's like, yeah, of course you do. Everyone loves it. And that's the only way he could, like, conceive of a superhero. And, like, he always thought of it as really dark. Like, 300 was perfect for him. But he said he read, like, heavy metal. He grew up reading, like, R-rated comic books, and that was very clear through his movies. And in the yeah. movie that let him make an R-rated movie, which was 300, I thought he did a great job. And it was it was a great movie. But, like, he tried to take that same lens and put it through Batman and Superman. And it was, like... It, it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> it, like, yeah. He didn't have... And that... Well, I, I can go on for Superman for a long time. Like, I think that's one of the hard... Like, that is, like, a white whale. Like, that... Or go, that's a white elephant of, like, a project, like... I, the Snyder movies made me appreciate the old, the older um, Marlon Brando and Christopher Reeve movies more. Actually, I'm a big defender. The first two Superman movies, I think, are are very good. I, it's like everything except for like the real action and the effects. It's like pretty good stuff. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun. It's a it has a sense of whimsy about it. Which is, I think, like, you kind of need... And so, actually, yeah, we, actually, this is funny, because I was, like, I remember saying this earlier, I was, like, before that Tim Burton Batman, there really is not another movie you can point to. If you gun to your head, if you had to point to another one, it's probably the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. It's, but they're really not doing what Tim Burton's doing with Batman. It's But, like, it's weird, like, yeah, like, it's very tiered, like, but then yeah. if, you, if you're going to point your head to the, the those movies, then it's, like, well, the 70s Hulk made-for-TV movies... Had a like, but like those were also like we're laugh, but like those, but those actually had a big thing, like that like yeah. helped inspire the DC movies to be like, oh, there might be like something there, like and the right. there was a Spider Man movie, I think Thor was in one, like not to the degree that Superman was. They they all build off each other clearly, like but every, yeah, it's just like I think in terms of just like where all this started, like that you have to mention that kid, the Christopher Reeve Superman movie. And the, yeah, I think the Tim Burton Batman movie is actually the most important touchstone of all of them.
Dead air. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. Um, I I think the tip, just looking at it, the Superman, again, you don't get one without the other. The first, the Superman ones were great with Christopher Reeve, but to me, the Tim first, even like Batman Returns, as we said, those were the yeah. first two that were like really like, these had a bigger effect, I think, on what came next than... Yeah. Anything before. And the fact that they made money, they were like successful movies, I think was important. And um, I guess, yeah, that's it's like you can get something that can bring in people of all age, or I guess white guys of all age at the time, but now people of all age. So I might have like another half hour or so. I'm not sure when my girlfriend's getting back. But um, do you want to do a quick, do you have anything else on your list that you want to talk about? Um, I was going to kind of suggest maybe should we talk about Scorsese and Coppola? And Hollywood economics. Yeah, because actually, I we should. I actually just listened to it on the uh, Collider. Did you listen to any of that at Norton podcast? By the way, no, I didn't. Uh, but oh, do sorry. you want to talk about no, it? What's that? Do you want to talk about it? No, I just think he he kind of he he talked a little bit about it too, and he's a guy that was involved in the Marvel universe for a hot second there. I think he would replay that in hindsight if he <laughs> yes, could. I he really do. He was funny when he talked about it, and he said he was actually you know he's a fan of Mark Ruffalo. He's a fan of those movies. It's not like he, he didn't seem that bitter about it. Obviously, at the time, it was kind of a thing for him. Um, also, you know, Ed Norton's a guy I really. Um, there was a certain time I thought Ed Norton might be the most important actor of his little generation there, but I think he's kind of just become a very good actor and, you know, does his thing, does what he does very well. But he talked about, uh, yeah, what Coppola and uh, Scorsese were saying, and um, he, he had this take which I agreed with, which is like, anyone who's complaining about who's giving money or getting money in Hollywood is just in the wrong game. And if you are a creative person, uh, you shouldn't complain about other people getting money to do their projects you know everyone's trying to <laughs> do their version of whatever they're doing and so you know anyone who's not to his point anyone who's not getting money it's their fault which was basically he wasn't directly calling out coppola but he's basically saying coppola can't get money for for very specific reasons and uh you know and that, there's, there's no reason to lash out at other people because of that <laughs> and that's actually what we kind of talked about too like offline was that like yes. that really that like, it was just that like also, I, I wasn't expecting him to say that, but I imagine that's probably coming from a very, like, this his movie Motherless Brooklyn is coming out this weekend. I'm probably not going to see it, but, like, that's his first, like, headlining movie uh, in a I, long I, time. I'm interested in seeing I think that will get a few Oscar nominations. I don't know if it'll get a best pick, but um, there's some buzz about that movie critically. By the way, I agree with you. I feel bad. Like, uh, first of all, I love Edward Norton. He's one of my favorite actors. I remember seeing him in Primal Fear. Uh, that was like, yes. I remember seeing that in theaters. That was one of my favorite movies. Like, he's great. And I actually really liked him as the Hulk or as Bruce Banner. Uh, I was bummed when he didn't come back. But, like, the more I've read into that, like, just... Also, in hindsight, just learning about how Marvel treats like creatives who don't play ball, like right. he did. a tough. He's a very serious. He takes acting very. I, I would say he's similar to Christian Bale, actually. Like very serious actor takes it very seriously. If he doesn't like the way something's written, he wants to rewrite it. If he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like the way a shot. You know, he might tell the director change your shot if he doesn't. So it's like he's one of those people that is gonna be annoying to work with but at the same time he does create good work and you can't deny that he's a good actor well i think the tragedy is from what i've seen of the deleted scenes and from my own personal critiques and what i've read about other scenes that weren't included 
it sounds like his version or cut of the movie of the Incredible Hulk was a superior movie. Uh, I'm sure it was. I, I think I, it, I think it was longer. I think it was more dramatic, and I think it probably would have made less money. And I think they knew that, and they were like, "We just need to get to Avengers." And I think he was right. fucking and pissed. I, that's the whole. He was trying to make art, and they're trying to make Marvel movies. And it's like you got caught with an actor who was in a different. You know, that's a disconnect thing. But and this is the thing, and this is what I was trying to say with Marvel earlier, and I, we won't go down this road. But I think. To, the beauty of Marvel is you need to live with some like Thor Dark Worlds to get to Thor Ragnaroks or to get to like the End Games. And like you haven't, and like you haven't, you haven't seen End Game yet. I highly suggest you do. The best way I can describe End Game is my my wife Liza does not like Marvel movies. She likes some X Men movies. She likes Mystique. She likes some of the X Men movies. Hates these. She not that she cares about DC, Marvel, Fox. Just like the way she like she hates almost all movies. She likes. She liked Iron Man 1, doesn't really, but whatever. She doesn't like Marvel movies, never really saw anything after Iron Man 1. Came into Avengers Endgame, not having any idea what happened in Infinity War. And she loved it. Like, she was like, that was a good movie. She doesn't see a lot of movies. Loved it strong, but she liked it. And, like, I, like, pressed her. Like, it wasn't like a, oh, yeah, I'm glad you're happy. I felt asleep. It's not like I don't have anything. I just, I honestly haven't. Uh... All I'm saying is that was just me just saying, like, I think the best of Marvel movies, I think, can tra- transcend a lot of tastes. And, like, really, right. I think that's why they make so much money. It, Clearly, they did. I felt the same way about Iron Man 1 and the first Avengers. It's yeah. very broad net they're casting. And they, they, they can please a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with that. So, and I think where Edward Norton, and this isn't his fault, but he couldn't see the forest or the trees. And, and he just, like, couldn't see, like, if he had just fallen on the fumble that was Incredible Hulk. And it wasn't even a fumble. Like, I remember, I like that movie when it was out it didn't make a ton of money but it still made like 260 million dollars which at and the time that, was no, a lot you know for norton he shouldn't be in marvel movie you know it's like i'd rather him be in birdman i think he's great in birdman and well, i think he is more of a stage actor and i think you know it's like some things happen for a reason <laughs> well this is like it's like two ships passing in the night when that happened yeah. he was the get like robert downey jr was the wild card and he was the big get he was supposed to yeah. be there, there was a reason they started with him like with Edward Norton was like this, and originally Edward Norton could have been the but first right. movie to be the lead. Him and Downey were supposed to be kind of the two pillars, and it was like you get these two guys that can act and write and produce and like do a lot of things, play and like have a lot of cachet at the table. But you know, it just didn't work with Norton. And then and again, to the to the credit of the Marvel people and how great they are in business, they quickly moved on from that and continued with their plan and continued to build what they were building. And to Norton's credit, you know, he moved on. It wasn't like it ended his career. You know, he had kind of a blip there where he didn't really know what he was, I think. But I think he's, I think recently he's come back to, to just realizing like, hey, I'm a good dramatic actor and I should just be knocking out dramatic parts here. Well, he, uh, I felt like that was his, like, he was try- he was like doing the Christian Bale. After Christian Bale had the Batman franchise, a lot of these like dramatic yes. actors try to dip their toes into this. Some with more success than others. Uh, I think um, the thing is, the the irony of Edward Norton, too, it's like, he might have been great in that role in Avengers if that was his first role. Mark Ruffalo, like, Mark Ruffalo's great. He He's the best Hulk of all of them, but, like, he also... Ruffalo's a guy, too, you know, before he took that role, I basically considered him a serious New York actor. Like, I knew he came out of the New York theater scene. I knew he had done a lot of dramatic role. You know, I didn't really take him as like a Hollywood, you know, action dude. I think that's why. Well, he gives. He also had better writing. Like, not to be a jerk. Like, I don't know who wrote Edward Norton's thing. It was him. It, it wasn't Joss Whedon. 
Joss Whedon writing your dialogue is a lot better, especially when Joss Whedon has writing this movie for like four years. And like, this was his passion when Joss Whedon's yeah. all in on a project and his heart's in it. Like it's going to come off looking good, sounding good. And like, that was his, like, it, he kind of might be an Orson Welles type guy. Like his like first stuff was like his best, not to be mean, but like Avengers is Avengers is one of the, we'll save that for another one. I think Avengers, the first Avengers is one of the best movies. Like, thinking of all everything that was riding on it i remember all the pressure on it and like we take it for granted about like now that you can do these big team-up movies but like not only did it do it it was like bam and like just like endgame it had all these like i know you haven't seen it it had all these like moments where as a theater goer i've been to a lot of movies you know you and i have both been to a lot of movies i've been to going to movie going to movies for years these avengers movies have some of the more audible like audiences like audible responses from audiences that i've ever heard like and it's it's awesome like to be in there and be part of that like it's it makes it like really fun it makes it more it really does can make it like a theme park and i don't mean that as an insult i, like, hear, I hear the point you're saying i think citizen kane's a different conversation <laughs> i think it might be more akin to like the t2 you know when that came out you know what i'm saying I'm not Titanic, I, honestly. Okay, I I was I excuse me. I wasn't drawing a comp- comparison necessarily between Avengers and Citizen Kane. I meant more so as like the uh, like the auteurs at the peak of their skills were better. Yes, like, yes. Earlier, I know that wasn't Joss Whedon's first movie, but like that was his first big movie. Like, right, right. So excuse, excuse um, me. That that was uh, an in uh, that was an inaccurate and inelegant way. I wasn't trying to compare Avengers to Citizen Kane, although. I think in terms of comic book movies, it deserves its ranking up among the best. I hear that. Okay. Give me two minutes. I got to take a pee. I'll be right back. Prove it. So we got so we got sidetracked, but what I was trying to say with Edward Norton was that he couldn't see his way past like for the, the beauty of the Avengers movies is that like if you're willing to play ball, you, if you can if you're willing to make a couple bad movies, like you can get to some good movies. Like Captain America, the first one wasn't great. The Winter Soldier, I think it's a I think that's a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies I've seen in theaters. Like, and that's what I that's what I was trying to say with Edward Norton. Sometimes with the with the Marvel movies, the opening movie might not be the best one. It might take a movie or two to get into it. Although I do think with Iron Man, the first one was the best one. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yes. No argument um, there. I do, uh, but um, what was I going to say? <laughs> I think. Um, so yeah, I agree. It takes it can take a couple movies to get into it, and I think that's counterintuitive to what a lot of 
like like an actor like Edward Norton might be, you know, where it's like any sequel to an action movie is always worse. Where it's like that's kind of been the old. Uh, that was the old, yeah, yeah. To see to see movies where like maybe the second or third one, once we develop this world a little bit and the characters, maybe we can do something down the line. I think that is kind of a relatively new thing that Marvel's been able to do. But in regards to the Scorsese and the Coppola comments, I think what I feel is this. <laughs> Um, guys that can, you know, directors that have been able to adapt, um, and I think the, the people who have really been able to do this are Scorsese himself, Clint Eastwood, Woody Allen, uh, maybe Werner Herzog to a degree. I might throw George Miller into this now that he's back with the Mad Max franchise. Um, but they seem like older directors, been directing their whole lives. James Cameron is kind of in his own class as well. Um, directing their whole lives, and they've been able to adapt into this new culture of streaming, uh, you know, streaming content, a different kind of secondary market, and just a lot, you know, the economics of Hollywood right now, with like whatever, 60% of the money going to big budget comic book films, I don't, you know, I don't have any problem with that because I understand the, how the business of it and why it evolved to this point and the fact that. Uh, the most money you can make with the least amount of risk is a big budget comic book movie right now. So without a doubt, the uh, the majority of the money is going in that direction. The, there are similar things that happened like this in Hollywood in the past too. I think it would be hard for us to conceive of this, but in, uh, in the fifty, I think, yeah, I think in the fifties, maybe the late forties, about sixty or seventy percent of the movies were westerns, and they were pretty shitty westerns. They weren't like these good westerns. They were like these really empty, boring cliched just done to death kind of westerns and it was like that honestly was like 60 to 70 percent of hollywood at that time and it was just it was low risk for these guys every like there were lots in hollywood that had horses they looked like old western towns it was just easy to get cheap actors throw them onto those sets make a quick western in 10 days and put it out you know it was just easy to make money off of it they were kind of like horror movies they're like modern day horror movies like there's a built-in audience you know you're going to get something and like the quality overall quality is low but enough people like it they're willing to like they're willing to see the bad movies to get to the good and like you can make you can build you can build an economy off that and it's not a coincidence that like that might not be the best remembered period of hollywood you know it's like it's just a period that happened and it's the way the economics went for that time and so, and not to say that like these movies are as worthless as those old westerns are, but it's just like some of them are. There's, a, there's an emptiness to them. You have to admit there is there is an emptiness to them. There is without a doubt like a corporate like yes, show like capitalistic sort of, sort of like. Now, like, with that being said, I'm gonna I will defend like the Marvel movies. I really do like in terms of like giving me the feels and like like giving me like the emo like moving moments. The Marvel movies are some of my favorite. I love them, but at the same time, I, ca- I cannot like objectively say that there isn't a corporate like knowing there's going to be like going into one knowing that like Infinity War is a great example. You saw Infinity War, yes, yeah, yeah. Knowing when as soon as they killed off Black Panther, I knew that that wasn't real because he just made like <laughs> one point six billion dollars. And yeah. as brave as Marvel is, and I know Disney is not that brave, so like there, I cannot. And also going into all these movies and knowing, like, okay, I went into Infinity War and I knew, or, or Endgame, and I knew about like I knew there are movies coming after that. Like you know that does rob it, I think, of some dramatic thing. But like I'm, 
I'm still willing to buy in at, at, yes. at every movie. Still, at the end of, like, when you're watching these movies, at the end of the day, you know the goal is money. Whereas if you sit down to watch a Coppola or a Scorsese movie, I would say that's not the primary goal when you're watching. I mean, you could make an argument, some Scorsese movies he's trying to turn, but I would say like any Coppola movie you watch, money is not his primary objective. No, but I'm going to like, if you, I, I'll do the semantics game with you. They're all making, what you're really saying is they want to be liked. Like, no, like Coppola is not sitting there. Coppola is not like, I want a movie that's going to be liked by a hundred million people, but Coppola. That's fair to say. That's fair. To, I want. They be all like, want their movies to do movie. well. They all like Coppola's best movies were successful. Is that you? Is that me? Oh no, that was me. That, that was you. Um, my bad. Um, they want their movies. I do know what you're saying though, like because they obviously old movies want to make money. Old old movies want to do well, but like to your I guess let me rephrase this. Coppola and Scorsese might be going for a narrower target than Disney, and and Disney and Marvel I mean, yeah, are definitely they're, going they're for a big target. To make people happy, but it's it's a smaller amount of people. But um, I don't know. Just my, I'm gonna I'm willing to defend, and they keep saying Marvel, but they mean comic book movies. And once you expand outside of Marvel, there are some really good comic books. Like Marvel has some of my favorites, but like. The Christopher Nolan Batman movies are incredible. The Blade movies, like the first Blade, I think is an actual like really good movie, minus oh, yeah. the special effects at the end. Like, and then if you want to throw the Joker in there, even though I'm willing to have that argument with you every day, that's not a good one. Uh, but like even Watchmen, like I like Watchmen. There, there are there's V for Vendetta. There's probably a hundred others that I'm forgetting right now. Yeah, there, there are some. There, a history yeah, of violence. Like, a history of violence is a graphic like novel. Like. There's a yeah. lot of good comic book, graphic novel inspired content out there. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I know, I, I hear what you're saying. Oh. I don't think you know the way Coppola and Scorsese came off is that it was a very white, white and black kind of subject. And it's like I do think there are shades of these comic book movies. I think there are ones that are made purely, purely for the money. And I think there are ones that people do take some time with, and they know they've been given big budgets, and they they use that opportunity to try to make something. That they're proud, you know. That's like actually good. And the uh, best are the best are the combo of the two, which is what we're getting a decent amount right. of these days. And uh, you know, even going back to to Star Wars and to Jaws and to Spielberg and Lucas, it's like I think they were the original guys. Where it's like, yes, we're making movies to make money, obviously, but like we're also like putting in some time in it. And they were tr- they were the ones who were kind of were trying to blend big budget Hollywood and artistic cinema. Where, you know, Scorsese and Coppola come from that school of we are making art, we are making important art, and that is our, you know, they really come from that old school, like, this this is our objective, is to, is to wake people up. And but, I think... But my, my argument there would just be that Coppola and Scorsese were from a different school than the Lucas and Spielbergs. Like, they're old school. The, they all can say that. So that, the but, alternative directors, it was, uh, hold on. It was, no, 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 no. But I'm just saying stylistically, like, you could put them all in the same generation, but, like, Lucas right, I, and Spielberg were, like, the big, like, the Indiana Jones, the Star Wars. Like, yeah. they had, like, they were going, Spielberg dipped in a horror, did some other edger stuff, but they were, like, your summer blockbuster. They were your like May through August releases. And I feel like Scorsese and and Coppola were. So that new Hollywood group, it was Scorsese, Coppola, Lucas Spielberg, uh, De Palma and Malik, I believe are like the six. 
I'm still saying that they have very different styles, though. Like all of them. I mean, I would say you know Terrence Malick is much different than Coppola and Scorsese, and he, I get Terrence Malick's a guy who is still making movies, making bizarre movies, by the way. Yeah, but I, I was just I, I meant more so. Actually, I, I don't know. Why I'm trying to box them in. You're right. They're all they all to to be they all have very different styles. They all have very different. Right, um, but it's, it's so. The, but it's like the offshoot from that group. I think originally, you know, like in the early '90s, I would have said guys like De Palma and Scorsese and Coppola are having a much bigger effect on people like Fincher or Paul Thomas Anderson or you know anyone coming out of that. Steven Soderbergh, all the people who came out of that indie scene in the early '90s, I feel like were affected by that group. But now we're back at this point with the comic book movies where I do think Spielberg and Lucas. Are, sh- are having a bigger influence on everything. And some of that is just pure economics, but also some of that is like, you know, those mo- those movies just reach more people. Star Wars and, uh, you know, and Jaws and Indiana Jones just got to more people, I think. I think that's fair. Um, I will say this, though. I know, I know earlier, I guess this might not be earlier, depending on how we air this, but uh, we've talked about... Um, Star Wars: A New Hope. I think after rewatching it recently, the action's a little dated. But in terms of an actual movie and story, like that movie is awesome, and I think that, like that, is the star everyone has been trying to grasp. And Empire Strikes Back happened to happened in the process of trying to do that, like made something better. But like, I think a Star Wars. So it's a, a lot of people point to. Um, there's a key moment here. Um, with Star Wars comes out, and at, at the same year, Heaven's Gate comes out. I don't yes, know if you know the yes, background on Heaven's yes, Gate. Yes, Heaven's Gate uh, was so like Heaven's one of the Gate most expensive movies. Michael movie. Cimino movie, the guy that directed The Deer Hunter, one of the great, great movies. Well, you know, that could be in anyone's argument for best movie of all time. I've actually one never of the seen it. from the 70s. What's that? I've never seen it. You've never seen The Deer Hunter? Oh, you should watch it. Right. It's a long one, Jake, but. Should we talk watch, about it? I'll watch it and we'll talk about it. It's, a, it's an essential movie. Um, Alexa, turn movie, away. You know, De Niro, Meryl Streep, John says, uh, great cast, great movie. Can't say enough about The Deer Hunter. He makes The Deer Hunter. He wins Best Picture. You know, I think De Niro may have come, or Streep may have come with an award too with that movie. But so then he gets this unfucking believable budget for Heaven's Gate, a budget unheard of. And apparently on the set of Heaven's Gate, he starts doing blow. And I mean, a lot of blow. <laughs> And he, it's like he's making this crazy three plus hour epic with you know ungodly you know length of time on set and it goes way over budget and at the same time lucas is making star wars with all these crazy new effects being really smart about his money and stuff makes this crazy big budget movie heaven's gate total flop basically ends samino i mean samino goes from deer hunter one of the greatest movies ever made to Heaven's Gate, one of the biggest flop ever made, and it's like, we're kind of done after that. We're going to have to talk about Josh Trank and Fantastic Four at some point, too, and, like, all-time <laughs> flops, because, uh, like, like <laughs> we're... we're on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> like we said, although M. Night Shyamalan's had, like, three flops, and he's come back, like, sometimes you see it, like, I haven't seen Heaven's Gate, or I guess Deer Hunter, I'll have to watch both of them now, but, like... So just in terms of Heaven's Gate itself, not as bad as you think, like, it's actually more watchable than I thought it was going to. I have watched Heaven's Gate. It's a very long watch, uh, but it's not It's not a terrible movie, and there's a few scenes that are very well done. It's not The Deer Hunter, though. The Deer Hunter is a masterpiece. It's a long-ass movie. Every scene's a, uh, amazingly well done. Um, but anyways, that was a... When Heaven's Gate came out and really ended that 70s indie scene and the new Hollywood, and it changed people into making 
Jaws and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and big budget franchises that you could release in the summer that would make a lot of money, creating a grand groundswell for what's known as the MCU universe now and whatnot. I mean, Star Wars basically is comic book movies before comic book movies. Well, Star Wars created the May the May opening, the May fourth, like yes, May the fourth yes. be with you. Like that was like it may have been a thing, but Star Wars was like. From my understanding, Star Wars was the one that first was like blew people's like fucking minds. Like people were like, "Whoa!" Like it was the first, and we can wrap this up soon. But like Star Wars was the one that really, and even where I was going with uh, New Hope was like it set up the structure. It's like you have the opening action uh, prologue, then you have like three. It's a three act. It's a three act play after that, with each act leading to a big like like action sequence. Um, and then there's an epilogue, like, but it's like, you get the, uh, it, to me, it, it had the biggest effect. And then even Empire Strikes Back subverts that in a lot of ways, but even then like in Return of the Jedi, they go back to it. It's like the, and I think that's what they do really well. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it was a, it was a genius. I mean, I'm, I can understand why at the time no one saw it coming because it is kind of goofy and dumb when you watch it and you just kind of watch it at face value. But everything he puts together in that movie is amazing. But anyways, back to the whole like economics discussion. I think Coppola and Scorsese, are they're complaining, but they're just sort of complaining about the wrong thing. And it shouldn't be about like, that's our comic book cinema or not. It's just like, they're good investments. And it's like... If you want to be a person who's making movies, you just got to be a better investment for whoever is backing you. And Coppola's just in a spot where he, I mean, it kills me that the guy that made The Godfather and Apocalypse Now can't make a fucking movie. But it's just like, people gave him, you know, people gave him enough chance. He's had his chances and he didn't deliver. And it's just like, now you're in this spot, man. I mean, I don't, you know, I it would make sense to me if an Amazon or a Netflix took 10 million bucks and just threw it at him. Just to see what happened, but I, you know, I think the odds of him making something good are very low at this point. <laughs> I'm sorry, the the whole Kenneth, uh, uh, sorry, the whole like Coppola and Scorsese, they're allowed to feel however they want. My argument against Scorsese is that he's made his big movie, like Netflix. He's Netflix gave him the money to make his big crazy movie, like. He can yeah, still like make. What are you complaining about? Like, well, I think he, he was. His quote was taken, I think, a little out of context, and then it was taken to Coppola, and he really his quote was taken in context. But then, like, people have kept coming back to Scorsese, and like, he's pretty. He's held pretty firm. Like, it, he's not. It, it, he's not like as aggressive as Coppola, but he's held firm in that he doesn't consider it cinema. And like, my whole critique to that is just like, and we've talked about this. Like, I'm sorry if I, in my as. Someone who's actually paid money to see Dumb and Dumber and some of like the worst movies. We talked about one of them earlier. I've seen a lot of bad movies and I consider them all cinema. Like it's not, yeah, I don't, yeah. they're, if I, if they're all cinema, like some of them are really bad, some of them are really good, but like, and my bigger problem is like, I think I the, it's a, you come off the wrong, like you come off way too pretentious when you say what I'm making is cinema and what this person is making is not cinema. It's just, and it's all, a, that's not a line you want to draw. And also just like not to get into the whole like political aspect, but like we're living in a day and age where people are like, this is news. This is not news. Like art is yeah. one of the few things that is considered pretty much universally protected. 
And if all of a sudden you're like, this isn't art, I'd choose what's art. Like, I, I don't know. That's just one thing for the for me that makes me really I uncomfortable. Think, well, so it's like, if I was going to play devil's advocate and back up Scorsese here, I would say, you know, I'm a person who's making art, but what people are really going to see is this corporate brainwashing money-making machine. And it's like, I think that's how he views it. <laughs> well, this is my problem, and they're not calling it what it is. Like, they're not saying, like, it's serial storytelling. It's not a movie. Like if they were to if they were to come out and be like this isn't a movie like a movie is a story like a movie is something you go to see and it's like a beginning a middle and an end and that's not what they're like my problem is they're not I, actually I heard that that it's like oh it's the way that they're telling the story that's upsetting well for me like and just like to say it's again like I, as we talk if it's in cinema if I see it in a cinema it's cinema like I, I don't yeah, know I any other yeah, way it's insane, you know there were it's also a period where there were a ton of shitty musicals the room the room is cinema like <laughs> the room is cinema I'm sorry like no if is it is it on the same caliber as a Scorsese film absolutely not but uh right. my problem with Coppola is that so my problem with both of them is that actually not problem they're amazing they can do they're they've also had a huge effect on my life like in terms of my fandom like as I've it was a little out of order because I was watching Terminator 2 at, at eight years old. But uh, so I saw them. I saw their movies when I was older, but they're both incredible. And I think like John Favreau said it best, like they can have whatever opinion they want. Like that's, that's, that's true. They've also they've both had their peaks already. It's not like I'm expecting, you know, it is, and uh, whatever, like it. What, uh, I might be out of time, Jake. Let him in. All right. Uh, I'll text me. I'll get back to you, okay? Please. This was fun, though.